please exhale. And now let's begin. Welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary. If you're interested in exploring holistic wellness topics through a perspective that blends spirituality with science, I think you've found the right place. And I'm so grateful that you're here. Let's figure out this life thing together. Always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Hello, friend. In the true spirit of Vata season, if you've been around a while, you'll know what I mean. If not, stick around. Um, We have this episode and the next one coming next week are both about hypermobility. So I put out a survey a little while ago and you all told me that you really like series deep dives. So I'm going to start trying to bring more of those. Um, We've had Vata season kind of going on um, and they'll probably roll with the seasons, the Ayurvedic seasons to just help get a more feel for the seasons, at least as they play out in the Northern hemisphere. So if you're in the Southern hemisphere, sorry, it'll be the opposite of what's ever happening for you. But um, yeah, so this week and next, both talking about hypermobility. And last week was a little bit related to Pitta moving into Vata, which is also what we have going on here um, in the Northern Hemisphere. We're moving out of Pitta season, which is like summer into Vata season, fall and early winter, um, characterized by the air and ether elements, which can bring this very mobile quality. So what better time to talk about hypermobility? So the guest today, Dr. Libby Hinesley, is Gosh, she's just a fixture of Asheville Yoga. So if you, I did my training at Asheville Yoga Center about five years ago, and she was a huge piece of the training then, um, really introduced me to a lot of these concepts that she's going to cover today. Um, So just listen to the episode, tune in. There's just so much good wisdom in this episode. So just quick um, rundown of what we're talking about. Dr. Libby Hinesley, she has a doctor in physical therapy, and she's a certified yoga therapist. She specializes in the treatment of chronic pain, hypermobility disorders, and yoga-related injuries. So if you didn't know that was a thing, there are common yoga injuries. You may have one if you've been practicing for a while. You may not know that it's common, but um, we don't actually talk about the common injuries Uh, We'll talk about some of those on next week's episode, so make sure you're subscribed so you get that when it comes out. Um, We'll talk about some common yoga injuries. But so uh, Libby just put out a book this year called Yoga for Bendy People, like the title of this episode. Um, So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode, even if you don't think you're a bendy person. Like I personally am not hypermobile. I don't struggle with this, these same struggles. But I do resonate with the other side of the coin where it's like some people are very quote unquote good at yoga because they're very bendy. Other people feel like they're not flexible enough to go to a yoga class. So no matter where you fall on that spectrum from very bendy to not very bendy at all, I think this episode has a lot of nuggets of wisdom in it for you. Um, just to give you a sneak peek, some of the things we talk about. So whether you're a yoga practitioner, yoga teacher, or both, we talk about her her journey, her story. As always on these interviews, I like to ask people about their story, how yoga relates in their story. And so she talks about going from working a desk job into her journey into teaching full-time and becoming a doctor of physical therapy and how all of her work now really evolved out of being an advocate for herself in her own hypermobility journey. And now how she's an advocate for other people that also suffer from hypermobility and the related symptoms, which we get into in this episode and all this science nerdy anatomy nerdy stuff. 
So without further ado, here we go. Enjoy. So welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary, and today I'm joined by Dr. Libby, Libby Hinesley. Can't talk this morning. Hi, Libby. How are you? Hi, Rosemary. Glad to be here. So for folks that don't know, I would consider you sort of a yoga superstar, at least in the Asheville area. Um, so I feel like it's hard to do yoga in Asheville and not know who you are, but listeners to this podcast may not be from Asheville. So do you mind telling us your yoga story? Like who were you before you found yoga? Sure. How did you get into it? Yeah. So I was an odd little kid before I found yoga. I was a bit of an oddball. I still am. But um, I originally found yoga in college. I was a philosophy major in college and uh, was just kind of really into spiritual things and explorations. And there was a class on Uh campus. I took that class and I really liked it. I always had also been very hypermobile. And so I found myself um, very kind of, quote, good at yoga because I could do all the challenging postures. But I really got into yoga at that time and started taking classes for for years. Um, I eventually moved um, to another state for graduate school part one, where I studied environmental studies. But alongside, I found this other yoga studio where they taught Ashtanga yoga. And I got way into that for some years, like way into it. And I had just injuries head to toe all the time, but I was way into it, (laughs) the less. (laughs) And so that sort of started my journey with sort of chronic injury. And I can't blame it all on yoga, honestly, I really can't. But um, but yoga wasn't helping me that that form of yoga practice. And it's, you know, it's never the the problem is never with the the yoga practice itself. It's is it a good match for the person practicing? And in my case, it wasn't. Mm. But you know, fast forward, I got into kind of a career in environmental studies. I worked specifically in sustainable agriculture for a number of years for wow. nonprofits and farmers. And I was way into that. And um, I'm still very, very cool in those things. Yeah. And, but my day-to-day job was largely in an office, you know, um, at a, at a computer and uh, dealing with grants and programs and things like that. And, Along the side, I was still getting more interested in yoga, and I had just recently moved back here to Asheville, and I thought I'd sign up for a yoga teacher training in order to maybe make some friends in the area and, of course, get more into yoga study. I did not have any plans to become an actual teacher. I just wanted to study yoga, and so I did that here in Asheville and um, was offered a class, you know, coming out of that. I was like, okay, I'll try it. And so I started teaching yoga a little bit on the side from my day job and I just loved it. And I just kind of kept getting more into it. And I, over the years, a few years passed and I wanted to focus more on that. And I really liked being more physical as far as kind of like my own day-to-day life and my work sustainability. I was finding that I wasn't really thriving at a desk job that my body and it's, it has some unique needs. And one of its needs is for movement. I need to be more physically active Mm -hmm. day. And so, you know, all of this pointed me in the direction of more yoga teaching and ultimately Uh, my own injuries and the injuries of my yoga students in those early years of teaching got me interested in physical therapy. So I just took this totally different direction with my career. 
um, kind of later in the game and ended up going to PT school. And I've been practicing now as a PT for a little over 10 years. And I love it. So, you know, yoga was the first, yoga is what led me into that more um, therapeutic Mm -hmm. approach uh, in, in my work. But so now as a PT, I primarily treat either yoga people or um, people with hypermobility syndromes, which is something I've gotten very much into in recent years, uh, partly because I see it a lot among yoga practitioners and yoga teachers, Mm -hmm. and also partly because I have a lot of personal experience with it and have learned through my own life um, kind of ways to approach it. So that's a bit of of my yoga story in a nutshell. Um, I will say along the way, after I started teaching, but before I went to PT school, I got really into the lineage of yoga that is the lineage of Desikachar. And I ended up studying Uh in Desikachar's place in India in 2008. I spent a month there and that was probably the one thing that really changed my yoga life more than anything has is that experience. Because when I went there, I didn't have any idea what it was about, what I was getting into. I just wanted to go to India and study yoga. I had read a couple of books by Desika Char. I thought they were great books. And I thought, let's go there. And, but it really changed everything for me as far as kind of how I feel in my body and how I teach yoga. Very cool. So I was going to ask you about that, actually. When you first started teaching, were you... So when I met you, you were already teaching Vinny Yoga, which is Mm -hmm. from that lineage. Um, Mm -hmm. So when you started teaching, were you teaching that? Or can you say more about how you specifically found Desika Chart? Like, did you kind of like just decide on a whim or was it more like... You know what I mean? Like, can you yeah. Say more about that? So when I first started teaching, I was teaching your standard vinyasa flow. You know, my teacher training mm-hmm. was basically a Americanized yoga, a vinyasa flow. I was, I taught actually, I taught yin yoga as well for a while. I was interested in basically those two. I had come out of um, more of a personal experience in kind of power yoga, Ashtanga, Sai Vinyasa, that sort of flow stuff. And so that's what I was teaching originally. And then I decided to go to Desikachar's place, the Krishnamacharya Yoga Mandaram in India with a friend, one of my best friends who I met in yoga teacher training. We went there together and I wouldn't say it was on a whim, but I really had no idea what that the style of practice was going to be. I um, uh-huh. I went there because I had read about this place and, you know, they, they host trainings and such that we went to, but they also act as like a yoga therapy center. So people will go there with their mm-hmm. particular complaints. They get evaluated by a yoga therapist and then they get assigned a home program essentially. And I thought, well, that is so super cool. I would love to do that someday. And at that time I was already planning, like I was in the midst of taking all these prerequisites for physical therapy school, you know? So I already kind of had this vision of as a therapist, I really want to bring in yoga front and center. And so this place does that essentially. And I, I want to go check it out. So that's basically why we chose there, but wow. um, Very cool. It was so awesome, kind of the Vinny Yoga style, the Vinny Yoga lineage, which is um, the the tradition of Desikachar, we could say. And um, it was so different from the ways I had been practicing, and it felt so amazing in my body 
Um, not at first, at first I found it terribly boring. I have to admit, but then once I got <laughs> past kind of the first week, I was like, this is so amazing. It's so simple. Yeah. And yet somehow mm-hmm. it is the most powerful way of practicing I've ever experienced. So I resonate with that. So can you say more about, can you get, I, so can you say more about what Vinny yoga is? Cause I'm certain you have a better explanation of it than I could offer. So can you say more about what it is and some of the differences between how you were practicing before and what you found in Vinny yoga? Yeah. So first of all, let's talk about the word Vinny yoga. So Vinny yoga is, it's just a word and it means um, basically appropriate application and, but it's also a brand of yoga. So I just want to be clear that, you know, it's a trademarked brand of yoga that is owned by Gary Craftsow, who's, um, you know, a, a Vinny, a very famous and excellent okay. Vinny teacher. Okay. And um, I've studied with Gary whenever possible when he's come to Asheville over the years and have really enjoyed that, but I haven't been through his trainings to be stamped. I quote, unquote, Vinny yoga teacher. Okay. So the way that I describe, yeah. Okay. The way that I describe the way that I teach is I would say it's absolutely most heavily influenced by the Vinny yoga lineage or, or I would say Mm. by the the lineage of Desikachar. Okay. The lineage of Krishnamacharya and Desikachar. And that's a better way to describe kind of how I fit into that lineage, I would say. And, um, and it's a fabulous way of practicing. Again, it's, just been amazing for me. And basically the, the root of it is that it it asks who is practicing and let's apply the tools of yoga appropriately for that practitioner so that the practice serves them. (laughs) I mean, it's Mm -hmm. like a radical idea. Whoa. But you know, it's so not how we often approach yoga in, uh, in my experience. It's at all, you know, it was always, yoga was always something that was external. And if you work hard enough, you'll get it right. And you'll become good at it. Mm, And this it all backwards. And it said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yoga is actually about you, the practitioner. It is, has a purpose in your life and it is, you know, it wants to support you. So let's first get to know you and what your needs are, what your, you know, unique qualities are, and let's apply these tools in a way that's appropriate for you. Now, so it it kind of brings along with it a bit more of an individual focus, but let's say you're just going Mm -hmm. to a group class, you know, what would you expect to find in a group class that's, that's um, influenced by this tradition or this lineage, you would find a breath centric practice. So it's not, um, it's not form centric. So it's primary, primary interest is in the breath. And in uh, cultivating movement that matches the breath. So a good way to think of it is breath centric. And its approach to asana is more interested in function rather than form. Okay. So we're not going to get so caught up in, you know, is the angle of your back foot at the precise right spot. I'm going to get my ruler out and look at. Right specifics of this form. I'm more interested in what is the function of this posture for the practitioner and why am I using it? And then those answers will lead me into what is the most appropriate way to do this posture in this case. And Mm -hmm. with that comes so much freedom in being able to explore postures as movements and varying degrees of movements and all these different modifications. And I just really loved finding that level of freedom within asana practice. And I'd never experienced that before. 
getting into that. So those would be probably the two main differences that it was really um, brought such an incredibly close focus onto the breath and then brought a functional Mm -hmm. into asana practice and a lot more freedom. And then, you know, the style of movement is mostly dynamic, um, very slow motion, repeating movements before you stay. So there's a mix of dynamic and static, but, um, it's not like vinyasa dynamic in that you go one pose to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. It's more like you do, you go from this pose to that pose, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And then you go to another movement, back and forth, back and forth that way. Yeah. Well, thank you for clarifying all of that. There was a lot of good stuff in what you just said, because so I didn't even know, I have another Vinny yoga teacher. Actually, I'm training to become a yoga therapist and my teacher it teaches Vinny yoga. And I didn't even know before you said that, that Vinny yoga was like a coined term, but that makes sense mm-hmm. that um, that's how we kind of approach yoga here in the U S we're very yeah. capitalist, right? Like we've got to, you know, everybody's got to yeah, have their I mean, thing. Yeah. There's marketing and there's branding and that's yeah. kind of how we do things. And, and I'm okay with that. I don't have any problem with, yeah. with kind of explaining that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think then it's also interesting because it's something I experienced as well. Like when I first went to my very first teacher training in my mind, there was just yoga. And it was like, I went to teacher training because I wanted to learn the quote unquote right ways to do the poses. And it wasn't until my first teacher training that I learned that there, you can't approach it in a different way. Like you were mentioning like Mm -hmm. function over form. There's not, it's not always a clear cut answer. So -hmm. thank you for explaining that. I I feel like those were just some little nuggets I wanted to draw out Mm -hmm. while also Vinny yoga is just one type. And there's so many types to, um, to what could be a a perfectly fine yoga practice. Absolutely. Um, I mean, part of the whole point of this tradition is to say we're all different. We have different needs and our needs change over the course of our lifetime. So there's no reason to expect that at age 45, I would practice anything like I was practicing when I was 20. Thank goodness I'm not. I like my practice so much better now. And (laughs) it would have been better for me even then. But anyway, you know, it changes over time our needs change and our bodies change and all of that has to be taken into account when you're exploring what's an appropriate practice for a person. Right. So, um, I know I read this in your book that you sort of, um, maybe I should go ahead and mention the title of the book yoga for bendy people. So you mentioned in your book, how you could do like party tricks. And and you mentioned earlier in this interview, how you like, um, felt quote unquote good at yoga. And this, I guess you discovered later was related to hypermobility. Can you say more about what that journey was like, like making that discovery and that whole process? Sure. Yeah. So even as a kid, I did gymnastics for years. I was super bendy and I could, you know, put my feet behind my head and do splits and do crazy things with my body. And I could always do that. So I always knew I had this joint hypermobility, you know, some people will call it double jointed or, you know, all kinds of ways people will describe that. But I always knew that about myself, but I never really knew what it meant as far as other ramifications in other systems of my body. I just knew that my joints were kind of floppy. You know, when I, when I was playing tennis in high school and college, I had a lot of shoulder issues. I spent a lot of time in PT because my shoulders would chronically subluxate. So they were kind of partially out of socket. 
but you know, whatever, that's just how my body was. Then um, fast forward to my intro to yoga practice. You know, I got a lot of positive feedback because I was able, had a lot of mobility and able to do a lot of challenging postures. And unfortunately, um, I think even still that is kind of glorified in yoga spaces where it's like, wow, you're really mm-hmm. good at yoga. You can do a split. Oh my gosh. As if that means something. Yeah. And it turns out it right. doesn't mean anything at all. It has zero relevance to yoga and yoga's ultimate goals, like literally zero. But I never knew that. And people often don't know that. They think that this is a performance and we're supposed to get these postures in a certain way and that suddenly something magical is going to happen when we do. And, you know, I was kind of influenced by that narrative myself. And so in my early, you know, yoga practicing and even yoga teaching days, um, I was just flinging myself around exploiting this hypermobility. And I didn't realize that that's why I was having so much pain, specifically in my yoga practice and the evening following and the next day. You know, I developed really chronic sacroiliac joint pain, hip pain, knee pain, foot pain, Mm. shoulder pain, neck pain, upper back pain. Like I was a mess my whole 20s, that whole decade. I I was a mess. I was in so much pain, you know, muscle spasms just crazy stuff, but nothing was ever quote wrong with me. So I was seeing a lot of different doctors, all these x-rays and MRIs and everything was always normal, you know? So it was not explainable Mm -hmm. why I was having all this pain, but turns out that's a really common experience for people with joint hypermobility syndromes, which turns out I have actually have a connective Mm -hmm. tissue disorder that causes hypermobility. And beyond that, it causes all kinds of other you know, ramifications throughout the body, like mental health challenges, digestive issues, you know, immune system challenges, autonomic nervous systems, kind of dysregulation, blood pressure challenges. So a whole slew of things that I'd always also dealt with, but had never connected to my joint hypermobility. And I, so I started connecting these dots only in the past 10 years or so as a PT treating yoga people, because what I would see is these yoga teachers and practitioners I would treat clinically, they also demonstrated hypermobility, but Mm -hmm. beyond that, they also had all the same other stuff, the, the mental health, the digestive stuff, the autoimmune stuff, all, all the whole list, you know, and I was like, wow, this is interesting because these people are all exactly like me. And, um, having all the same challenges that I've always dealt with. How fascinating. And I started learning about yeah. hypermobility syndromes and that just led me down this whole huge rabbit hole that led to my own diagnosis with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome a few years ago, and then led me to writing this book. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And the book is fantastic. I was, so I read in the book, some of the things you just mentioned, like the the other symptoms that can correlate or be related. So Mm -hmm. just a a few that I'd love to pick your brain about one thing. And this is also because, um, you're really great at explaining some of these like, uh, more sciencey topics that I think comes from like your, like your physical therapy knowledge. So you mentioned that it is a connective tissue disorder. So can you, explain some more stuff about the connective tissue. And the reason I'm asking is 
because I think we hear a lot in yoga now, especially like fascia is like a buzzword. And then there's like people take collagen supplements. So you explain collagen really well in the book and things like that. So could you just tell us a little bit more about the connective tissue and collagen and all of that and how it's yeah. related? Yeah. So it's a big, it's a big topic, but yeah. yeah. Connective tissue is quite a buzzword and connective tissue is a broad umbrella term that includes a lot of different um, types of tissues. It includes things like uh, tendons and ligaments, joint capsules and fascia, but also technically includes your bones and your blood and adipose tissue too. All of that is um, connective tissue. But when we get into talking about hypermobility, especially we're focusing on, on the connective tissue that's largely made of collagen and collagen fibers, collagen low molecules are like designed to be a, like a steel cable that hold things together. They're like the glue that holds your body together is collagen and it's everywhere. It's just, it's throughout your whole body. It's the most abundant structural protein in your body. And so it is the, the main component of those really tough connective tissues, like the tendons, ligaments, joint capsules, and fascia. And if we think about the structural integrity of a body, we have passive structures that are holding our body together and we have active structures. And um, the passive structures are those collagen rich connective tissues. They provide stability for our joints. They resist things falling apart. And then our active structures are muscles that we have to contract to create stability and to hold things mm -hmm. together. And in, um, in my body and in other, a lot of other people who have hypermobility syndromes, whether it's hypermobility spectrum disorder, hypermobile EDS, and maybe others, there is often a genetic difference in the way their body makes collagen. So their collagen fibers don't end up quite like a steel cable. They don't end up quite as sturdy and supportive. So that is what allows joints to move more. Okay. So it's one of the things that can allow hypermobility. You can also be dealing with some muscle tone issues and, and bone shape issues, but for a lot of people with hypermobility, it's, it's granted to them by the floppiness of these connective tissues. They're less taut. They're more pliable. They're more lax. They have more laxity. That's the word we would use. And that just means that the joint capsules surrounding your joints and the ligaments, and they just aren't holding you together as well. <laughs> and so that's why you're so bendy. That's why these people mm -hmm. are so bendy. And yeah, in that circumstance, you know, we have to rely on our active structures a lot more. We have to rely on our muscle strength, muscle contraction to grant our body that mm -hmm. stability that it really lacks from those passive structures. And so that kind of seesaw is what leads us, many of us into a lot of pain because we have a lot of muscle tension, chronic muscle contraction to compensate for all this wobbliness in our joints. And that chronic muscle contraction is both fatiguing and painful. Mm -hmm. So an immediate question that brings up is, so like, for example, pregnancy also can cause mm -hmm. these similar kind of symptoms because of the hormone relaxin. And I know you mentioned like part of your story, this is from pulling from your book and yeah. people may have heard it before, um, that like after your second pregnancy, things got a lot worse. Right. So 
during when I was pregnant, I took collagen supplements because mm-hmm. I had that just as a side effect of pregnancy. So as a collagen supplement, this is going to sound probably kind of silly because I know there's a lot of folks out there that are like, just throw supplements at anything and it'll fix the problem when really it's much deeper than that. So does that, is that something that helps or is it like an issue of, I don't know what, I, what it's bringing to mind is like kind of the difference between type one and type two diabetes. Like, you know what I mean? That, that kind of similar, like, can they just take insulin or can their body begin making insulin again? Same thing with like collagen. Do you just replace it dietarily? Like, what does that look like? Right. It's a great question. And I always get asked that. And I really don't have a good answer because I don't know. There's just not a lot of, well, I haven't seen any research on collagen supplementation, especially in a body that makes faulty collagen. So it's like, Mm. okay, if my body doesn't really assemble really good quality collagen, then I don't know how much collagen supplementation is going to really help that. Now, the way I think of it is it's certainly not going to hurt me and I can probably use all the help Mm. I can get, that kind of thing, at least from the perspective of tissue repair, just kind of living in a body and recovering from exercise and, you know, repairing Mm -hmm. all the tissues in here. I'm sure that there is some benefit to be had from collagen. I don't uh, obsess about it. I don't take it every day. Um, I take it occasionally, I don't know, maybe once a week if I have a smoothie, something like that. Right. Because I agree with you, I think there is a knee-jerk reaction to throw hundreds and hundreds of dollars worth of supplements at every single thing without having mm-hmm. a lot of evidence to to really support it. So I don't know. I mean, I'm interested in the question too. I hope that I'll learn more yeah. about it, you know, and have a better answer. That's cool. Mm-hmm. I just know it brings up like Cause I just know from looking at various labels on collagen supplements, there's some, there like it's type one, two, and three. And I didn't know until your book that like, there's more than that. Yeah. There's more type. Yeah. So, there, there are like yeah, 20 just, something, I think types of collagen, but the bulk of collagen in your body is, is just a couple of those types. Um, and okay. you know, if we're talking about sense. like, you know, my condition that I have is called hypermobile Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And from a genetic perspective, it is not well understood at all. So there isn't um, a clear Mm. understanding of what type of collagen and in what way is it really impacted. There's lots of research going on about that. And just the other types of Ehlers-Danlos syndromes, that's better understood. There's a a clear kind of genetic underpinning for those other types, 14 types. But this is a type that's the most common type. And it's it's just proving to be a little bit more complicated as far as understanding the mechanism behind it. Yeah. So is that, um, that's kind of like why it made me think of the diabetes analogy. Is it like a production versus absorption mm-hmm. thing, I guess is like, right. Then that's yeah. not well understood yet. It sounds like. Yes, exactly. Gotcha. And certainly not by me. Now you may find it elsewhere. And if you do, please let me know, cause I'm interested too. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's um, some people have hypermobility and they're fine. They actually don't have any symptoms related to it necessarily. Uh-huh. But when we talk about hypermobility syndromes, a good way of thinking about that is symptomatic hypermobility. And some of the most common mm-hmm. symptoms are either joints that are dislocating or subluxating, joint pain, um, myofascial pain, almost like a fibromyalgia kind of muscle tenderness. In fact, some studies show up to 80% of people who have Mm. fibromyalgia 
have joint hypermobility and there's a really strong correlation there. And, um, yeah, so it's, it's really interesting stuff, but pain would be the most prominent feature here. Hypermobility plus pain, plus again, that, that whole other long list of autonomic digestive immune, et cetera, et cetera, health stuff. Yeah. So could you say a little bit more about what you've found about the interrelation? Are there like mechanisms you know of related to why these things are related or? Well, there's some thoughts and, and I'll share kind of my, my understanding of it is when we think about the digestive um, issues, the collagen also lines your gut lining. It's kind of the gut lining is, is largely made of collagen. So when you have floppy collagen, you have more propensity for a leaky gut situation where maybe more particles come through and that might stimulate a bit of an autoimmune type of response and things like that. Um, an IBS kind of stuff. A lot of people have IBS who have hypermobility and some people have delayed gastric emptying. So like the stomach, it's just things move through slowly. There's just sluggish digestion. So those are some of the common mm-hmm. things. So that's one piece. Um, the autonomic dysfunction I find most interesting just because it has personally affected me the most out of some of these things. So when you think about the blood vessels, those are also made partly of collagen. And in a a body that has this floppy collagen, we have these saggy blood vessels. And usually that leads to low blood pressure and kind of low volume. And especially when we stand up, Mm -hmm. often the blood pools in the lower body because of these sort of saggy vessels. They're not really good at maintaining blood pressure. And the blood pools down low, which then impairs our blood flow up to the brain, which is pretty important. And so to accomplish that blood flow all the way to the brain, our heart rate has to really turn up. And so a lot of times we'll get this tachycardia or high heart rate when we stand up and it causes feelings of, well, anxiety and um, Mm. lightheadedness and heart palpitations. And just it it feels like awful. (laughs) And it's called POTS. It's postural orthostatic tachycardia. And that's really, really common. And I had this after that second pregnancy, um, pretty significant symptoms there. It's it's largely under control now, thank goodness. But that's kind of a mechanical way of thinking about why it's these saggy vessels that are letting blood pool in the lower body. So our our autonomic system has to get that blood up to our brain. So it has to turn things up a notch. And so that's one of the reasons that a lot of bendy people are living at this higher than ideal sympathetic arousal. Sympathetic nervous system is just jacked up all the time. Interesting. Uh, Yeah. In part to manage the sagginess of the blood vessels and this difficulty managing fluids, honestly, if you just want to boil it down, but the other piece that leaves our sympathetic nervous system on high alert and high arousal at baseline is there's some interesting brain differences in bendy people, brain anatomy, where hypermobile people have been shown to have a larger amygdala, which is part of the brain that is real heavily involved in like threat detection and um, fear and response Mm -hmm. and stress. And so we're sort of just super hyper vigilant because of that as well. And it's actually been shown to not only be bigger, but also more reactive the same way that it's been shown to be more reactive in people with PTSD. So a lot of bendy people, 
whether they also have reason to have PTSD on the side, they often present as people with PTSD because of these sort of nervous system issues. It's so interesting to me because just reading through or hearing that list of symptoms and hearing it being associated with the quality of being hypermobile, it sounds like to me from an Ayurvedic perspective, you just described vata imbalance. Yeah. Right. So it's super interesting to hear like how this is, I would say one perhaps scientific explanation of vata imbalance. There probably are more. It's interesting. You know, I'm not an Ayurvedic expert by any means, but um, when I talk to people who study Ayurveda, they always say this same thing you just said. They're like, wow. Yeah. Hypermobility stuff. Described Vata. Yeah. Oh, Vata. And I can (laughs) see that, you know, and then um, when I, and again, I don't know enough about Ayurveda to really explore that further, but I think it's interesting too. Yeah, totally. And I think it's, it sounds like also you've had an interesting journey related to exploring this from uh, the sort of holistic perspective, like in probably, correct me if I'm wrong, but maybe informed by your yoga practice and then chasing it through the medical lens through PT and various doctors. Does that feel true? Yeah, all that. Oh yeah. It's been like a, yeah, total, um, epic medical adventure really just to try to figure out all the weird stuff I mean I always had weird stuff right Uh, all my life I had the weird the weird stuff I just never realized they were connected and then of course after I had children especially after my second daughter was born my symptoms just really just went through the roof and I, I really thought that I was dying I was just it was awful and so I started seeking medical attention to try to figure out what is going on. This is something is really not right. And unfortunately, medical providers are have really, really low awareness of hypermobility syndromes and their manifestations. And so I really didn't get anywhere mm. with all the doctors and specialists I saw. I had to learn about this on my own and really advocate on my own. And, and that's often the case is that these people with yeah. these conditions become the experts on their own condition and end up educating their doctors. And um, right. from the doctor's perspective, it really is just a lack of education about the conditions. And, and it's something that doesn't really fit in a specific specialty. So if you have cardiac symptoms, which I had, right. you go to the cardiologist, but they just see the cardiac, the right. cardiac, right? If you have joint pain, which I had, you go to the rheumatologist, but all they see is the joint pain, right? If you have anxiety and panic disorder, PTSD, you go to the mental health provider and that's what they see. And so you're, you end up at all these specialists, but no one puts it together. And, um, right. That problem. Yeah. And that's why it gets missed so much. And then people go years with all of these wide ranging weird symptoms and they don't understand it. And when their doctors don't understand it, they tend to default into the narrative that it's probably just stress and anxiety. And you're probably just a little bit crazy and you're complicated. And I don't really like dealing with you as a patient. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, good for you for having the tenacity to chase it down and make those connections and be an advocate for not just, I mean, so then you had to be an advocate for yourself, but then that advocacy led to this beautiful book. That's I think going to probably help so many people, especially because like we know 
bendy people are gravitated towards yoga. Like you were mm-hmm. saying, in your practice, you saw your physical therapy practice, you saw a bunch of people with similar things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely my hope is that the book helps people perhaps connect some dots in their own lives and understand their own condition, you know, better. And it's because once we understand what's going on, we can be less afraid of the discomforts. Um, and then we can go ahead and move forward mm. with learning about how to manage this. How do we live our best lives? Even if we have these hypermobility syndromes, it doesn't, it shouldn't limit us. Yeah. It should actually open up a whole new world once we understand it. Because when we have pain that we don't understand, it's scary. And when we're scared, we're scared to move. Our our world gets smaller, we get more deconditioned. And that's the wrong way to go with this stuff. The bendy person needs physical activity. They need physical challenge. You know, they need to learn about self-care, learn about their own specific manifestation of these things so they can really take care of themselves optimally. Um, And that leads to a lot of freedom rather than limitation in my experience. So that's my hope for people. And also my hope is for yoga teachers that they'll have a better understanding so they can, you know, help their students uh, understand what's going on better, not to be scared of it, even in the yoga classroom, but certainly to understand how can we mitigate the risks of, you know, some injury that they're a little bit more at risk for, but more importantly than that, how can we design a practice that really like supports their thriving that helps them in life. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you have a good offering, another offering that can help that for teachers, but I want to ask one more. I want to pick your brain about one more thing Okay. before we mention that. Um, so you mentioned also the sort of like hyper arousal and being stuck in the stress state, I suspect because something else I read in your book that it sounds like this hypermobility is associated with, or maybe causes just associated with increased introception and decreased proprioception. Am I getting that right? Kind of. So um, definitely decreased proprioception, which Let's talk about that for just a second. That has a couple different contributing factors. Um, One of them being another piece of brain anatomy difference in the bendy brain is less real estate for the somatosensory cortex, where your, your brain receives sensory input from your body that tells your brain what's going on down here. Right. Um, So part of what sends that information, there's something going on there in the periphery too. But once it gets to the brain, we have less body mapping real estate in the bendy brain, which I think is fascinating. And it is thought that that's one contributing factor to this poor proprioception or poor mapping of the body, a poor understanding of where our parts are in space at any given moment. But the other piece going on is that that floppy fascia and floppy connective tissue, it doesn't, the receptors, all the mechanical receptors, you know, that sense mechanical information like stretch and compression and all that, they have a harder time getting stimulated because they're stimulated by tension. Uh, One of the things that they're stimulated by, they don't get tension on them very well because they're floppy. They they don't get tension until way out here at end range. And then then we feel something. Then our mechanoreceptors are stimulated. Then they send information to the brain telling us what's going on in our body. But we all often don't get that information until we're way out at end range because it takes a while to stimulate that tissue, those receptors. So there's a mechanical piece. Then there's also a nervous, you know, a brain anatomy piece, both working together that lead, I think, to the 
proprioceptive issues. But now the interoception is really interesting. So yeah. I would not say that bendy people have increased interoception because that sounds like we're saying they have better, more accurate interoception and they don't, they actually have increased interoceptive sensitivity. And that means that the volume of the internal sensations is just cranked up. Okay. And when that happens, and that's something that actually is associated with disordered eating as well. And it's one of the Mm potential links between a high correlation between eating disorders and hypermobility as well. Whoa. Yeah. One of the thoughts there is that, um, and I'm just sharing kind of all the research that I've studied on this, but there may be others out there. But anyway, one of the thoughts is that this introceptive sensitivity is part of what links these, that it's almost a feeling of just there's so much internal discomfort all the time that these signals mm-hmm. um, are cranked way up and it's harder to interpret them accurately. It's harder to understand what they mean, that type okay. of thing. Okay. Yeah. So part of the task. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Yeah. And so part of the task for the bendy person certainly is about interoceptive accuracy and kind of decreasing Mm. the hypersensitivity of um, how we respond to these inner signals. Well, just my thought about when I was like, like you were saying, having that volume knob of sensation in your brain, like turned up, it sounds overstimulating to me, which sounds stressful. Yep. That's the way I think of it. Yeah. That's what I was thinking of with that. So thank you for explaining all that in such a beautiful way. I thought you might, because you are really good at explaining um, these anatomy and physiology concepts. So do you want to tell folks where they can go to learn more if they like your explanations and want to nerd out about anatomy with you? Sure. So, so one of the things that I've come to love the most about um, my work is I teach anatomy to yoga teachers and I love, and I just love learning about anatomy and physiology. It just, it's endless. I'm fascinated by it. And I started a program a couple years ago called anatomy bites, and it is a monthly membership program specifically for yoga teachers who want to learn anatomy. And so each month they get a little module. So I try to deliver the anatomy in little bite-sized chunks so that it's not overwhelming and um, not intimidating. And each module is specifically related to yoga. So we'll go through a couple, you know, a few short sort of lecture presentations that are pre-recorded and then a couple or a few embodied practices to really get the material into our body and onto the yoga mat. And then we have monthly live sessions where people can come and ask questions about anything anatomy related to me. They can ask questions in the platform. So it's really cool. And I've had a blast with it. And so mm-hmm. that people can find out more about that on anatomybites.com and jump in and join us. And it's, it's probably my favorite thing that I do, I think is, is this anatomy yeah. bite. Yeah. Because, you know, I used to teach anatomy workshops to yoga teachers pre-pandemic, and it would be a weekend or a four-day or five-day. It'd be like trying to sip water out of a fire hydrant. It was so much, too fast, and everyone got way into it in the moment. Like They were just Uh like anatomy nerds for the weekend, and then it was gone. Right. Because you can't, you can't learn and retain that way. So and anatomy seems to be a topic that is of so much 
kind of, uh, it's intimidating for yoga teachers. They feel stressed about it. They feel like they should know more. But um, so all those reasons are why I developed Anatomy Bites to try to do it in a different way that's a bit more sustainable, that's more consistent over time, that's more relevant directly to what's happening in the yoga classroom. And hopefully that's kind of fun. I I to be a bit silly in my teaching. So I try to make things fun. No, it's great. Yeah, I... And I think it's another really good example. Something I always hope to highlight with these interviews I do is like people seeing a need either in their own life or in the, the community that you work in. So it sounds like the book is a good example of seeing a need in your own life and chasing that down mm-hmm. and putting something good into the world because of it. And then Anatomy Bites is also, I agree in the yoga world, like I I went and took college classes on anatomy because I was like, I don't feel like I'm learning anatomy the right way from um, like the yoga world. And now that is changing because of, you know, people like you putting that out there. And I love that. Thank you. And then also I agree, like, even though I've taken university classes, I wanted also that slow drip of like Mm -hmm. reminders because you have to keep studying it. If you don't use it, you lose it. Right. Exactly. Thank you for putting that into the world. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. And it's also really hard to draw the relevance out of like a college class, an A&P class. How do I relate this to yoga practice? That's a bit of a leap. And so I just try to make that easier in this program. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And so I'm in it. I've only been through the first, the SI joint module in there. And I think it's, I think it's great that it's, yeah, that it's totally organized in a way that makes sense. Like I can go and apply this to my teaching like right now. Awesome. Yeah. So thank you. Yeah. Um, Are there any other last thoughts you want to leave us with? Um, You know, if anyone wants to keep up with what I'm doing, I'm most active like on Instagram, Libby Hinesley PT. And um, you can also find my website, just LibbyHinesley.com. And I've got a couple different email lists that people can can get on through my website. One is a specific email list, you know, about anatomy and yoga. And then one is specifically mm-hmm. about hypermobility offerings. So I've got kind of these two worlds going on side cool. by side. Yeah. That's awesome. So it'll always be linked in the show notes, but I think it helps folks to like hear it because a lot of times they're listening, doing other things. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to be with you. And that's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed nerding out and just listening to this wonderful story in this episode as much as I did. I enjoyed the conversation when I got to record it. I enjoyed it again just this morning as I got to edit it. So if you would like to learn more about hypermobility, so this is next steps from this episode. If you enjoyed it, If you're an anatomy nerd, you are going to love anatomy bites. I'm an anatomy nerd. You may not have, so this anatomy bites is kind of geared towards yoga teachers. So if you're not, you know, if you love yoga and you want to learn how to apply like anatomy nerd stuff to your practice, you could certainly enjoy it um, because there are practices in the membership in there. And then um, if you are a teacher, it's only going to make your teaching better. And like we said, it's, you need a slow drip of this anatomy stuff to not forget about it because I can't tell you how many different anatomy classes I've been through at this point between college and yoga teacher trainings and I just forget the shit like the the lateral epicondyle and all this you know the fancy terms it's like I need to be reminded personally so I really appreciate the anatomy bites membership for that so that is great for anybody whether you are bendy or not but if you are 
a hypermobile person, if that sounded like you, if you could resonate with those portions of this episode, Libby has also announced another really cool offering that is in waitlist mode at this point. So um, it wasn't announced publicly at the time we recorded, but now at the time of the episode dropping just a couple weeks later, it is. So it's called the Hypermobility Hub. So I highly recommend if you want to nerd out, read the book, Yoga for Bendy People. Um, even if you're not bendy, like I'm not. And I just enjoy learning about this thing, these things because as a yoga teacher, t- so many people that gravitate towards yoga are hypermobile because they're, they feel good at it. Right. Um, and so that wasn't my story, but that is a lot of people's story. And I just, you know, as a budding yoga therapist, it's important for me to learn about all these different things. So that book is fantastic for fellow anatomy and yoga nerds. Um, but if you feel like a person that's hypermobile, if you resonated with those portions of Libby's story and you were like, gosh, that sounds like me, and you want more support um, for your yoga practice to continue enjoying yoga as a person that's hypermobile, the Hypermobility Hub is a new membership platform um, that will be out soon. I'm not sure how soon, but um, you can go to Libby's website, which is also linked in the show notes. She mentioned it just a moment ago, but you can go and click the link in the show notes and go to her website and right there, impossible to miss on the very first front page. You can sign up for the anatomy newsletter. It's a separate thing or the hypermobility newsletter. And if you sign up for that, then you'll find out um, when that's released. And it will be an online studio with classes directly designed for bendy people. So if you're like, I just want to practice yoga. I just want to be told how to practice in a way that's not going to further aggravate my hypermobility. Or maybe if you're in Asheville and you used to or still enjoy um, Libby's classes, or you used to be in Asheville, you know, and you loved her classes and you're somewhere else now, that would be a great offering um, to practice this stuff. So sign up for that waitlist, check it out, Hypermobility Hub, highly recommend it. I, you know, if y'all are regular listeners of this, listeners of this podcast, y'all know I'm a goof, so is Libby. So you're going to love her teaching. Um, Yeah, check it out. I'm glad you're here. I hope y'all enjoyed this conversation and Libby's story and learning from her as much as I did. And as always, you know what I'm about to say next. Remember to keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Until next time, friends. 